0: You're listening to the first podcast in Southeast Asia that highlights great people who represent the ASEAN values as a community of opportunities for all. ASEAN Champion. In this episode, our champion is Nadine Alexandra, an Indonesian beauty pageant title holder who was crowned Putri Indonesia 2010 and represented her country in the 2011 Miss Universe pageant. For the past couple of years, she has become the voice of the voiceless through Borneo Orangutan Survival Foundation, saving orangutans and their habitat. So let's hear the Asin spirit through her story. Okay, thank you so much for coming, Nadine, uh, especially sparing your time in a very short notice.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you so much for having me as well. I'm really happy to be here.
0: What are you currently up to at the moment? Um, are you active in some kind of form of organizations or NGOs that fights for a cause? So my
1: day-to-day schedule is quite varied. Um mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm an actress and so sometimes I'm deep into a script and deep into researching uh-huh. a role and preparing for that and then filming and post-production and everything. Yep. Other times I I work more on my environmental and social activism. Okay. So since 2010 I've been involved with the Borneo Orangutan Survival Foundation, mm-hmm. which focuses on orangutan conservation, rehabilitation, and then reintroduction. Mm-hmm. And since then, I've kind of spread out a little bit, um, you know, uh, being more vocal about my concerns for the environment as a whole, um, and being also involved in some social activism, fighting for gender equality in Indonesia
0: and such. Mm, Okay. So what made you join all of these organizations, maybe specifically the Boss Foundation itself? Can you maybe tell a bit about that?
1: Yeah. So... You know, if I think about how I became mm-hmm. an environmental activist, it's not like I woke up one day and said, today yes. I'm going to be an environmental okay. activist, and my whole life changed. It, everything sort of happened gradually, and it's only now in hindsight that I can see, you know, growing up, my formative years were very much about uh, playing and being in nature and being mm. close to animals and right. spending a lot of time outdoors, Um If I look back Uh at how I became an environmental activist or how I got here, you know, the road has been this way kind of from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was only when I, you know, decided to join the Miss Indonesia Universe pageant in 2010 that what was all that time just a personal hobby, that was the first time that it could become part of what I did day to day and mm. became something professional that I did and wasn't just a personal like interest of mine. Yeah. So, you know, in the days leading up to the pageant, I had a conversation with my mom and she said to me, you know, if you won, what would you do? Cause you would have a platform, you would have this privilege and what would you do with that? Yeah. And around the same time, there was a lot of news articles and news reports about orangutans being, like their habitats being destroyed in Kalimantan and Sumatra, mm-hmm. um, all these like images of orangutans being like slaughtered, and you know things, things just happened organically. But I I sort of said, well, you know, if I win, I want to talk about this issue, because I don't see anybody talking about
0: it. Could you tell us more about what kind of contribution are you doing or still doing in Moss Foundation itself?
1: So to start with, I was appointed as um, Boss Foundation's uh, ambassador. Mm -hmm. But two years after that started, they scrapped that program. And what they did instead was they wanted to have an approach which was more sort of like a collective and more team work-based. So instead of having just one person as an ambassador, which, you know, one person, two hands, one brain can only do so much, one Mm -hmm. mouth, everything, you know, you can only do so much they decided to have uh, a collective of people or a team of people who call themselves uh, orangutan warriors, of which I'm a part of. Mm -hmm. And so there's me, there's Davina Veronica, there's Richard Kyle, to name a few. Mm -hmm. And it's just about working together as a team to spread the message and create public awareness about orangutan conservation, Mm -hmm. what the struggles are, when what we need from the public. And we do that collectively because, you know, it's better to have more people who can spread the message to all different sorts of um, people and
0: communities. So that's that's what I am now, an orangutan warrior. Cool. So I guess talking about the whole awareness about orangutan self, uh, what are the most current issues um, surrounding orangutans currently? can you talk but more about it?
1: So, you know, for yeah. ever <laughs> since Since time immemorial, maybe. Um, The problem with orangutan conservation is that it's constantly an uphill battle. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the biggest, I don't want to say enemies, but one of the biggest obstacles that uh, orangutans have faced is losing their habitats to palm oil plantations. And, you know, I have to make a point of saying that it's really unregulated, Mm -hmm. um, kind of wild palm oil plantations that happen overnight. Those are the
0: ones that are the biggest threat to orangutan habitat and their well-being. Is there like a life-changing story or experience directly to orangutans you can share today, I guess?
1: Um, (laughs) Yeah, you know, I think one of the most profound experiences I had with an orangutan was Mm -hmm. um, meeting one and they don't have the voice that we have they don't have the large-scale cooperation that humans do mm-hmm. so they need us and I love I love talking about orangutans because especially in terms of conservation because they are what we call an umbrella species where mm, okay. when you save the orangutan, you save so many species that live
0: within the habitat
1: yeah within the habitat um, and they're such an important, integral, and integral part of the environment and the ecosystem, um, that I think they're just like you know really, really wonderful. But it's being able to look into the eye, have one like hold my finger that just like makes me like unnerved, but also in awe that like wow, this is this is
0: absolutely beautiful. Could you maybe tell us a bit about most the most common misperception about orangutans that you hear? often
1: yeah um i think one of the most uh rampant misconceptions about orangutans is that they're pets oh. you know okay they're like humans and they're cute mm-hmm. uh therefore i can bring one home and, and have them as a pet. have a have them as a pet at okay. home cool. they are still at the end of the day wild animals and they require a wild Habitat; they mm-hmm. require that ecosystem to thrive. Um, there's also, I guess, this misconception that because it, you know, I've learned from some people who have had them as pets that they think you know they're very cute as babies, right? Yes. But when you have a full-grown orangutan, if you have a full-grown male orangutan, mm-hmm. he can rip you apart. Like they are wild animals, and they are really strong. So you know, let's let's learn to love them, adore them, and be in awe of them, but let's learn to do that from a safe distance. Mm-hmm. It's for our own benefit, and it's also for their benefit. What happens on a palm oil plantation is that they're considered as pests because they're looking for food, yes. but they're acting out of instinct, right? So what has happened in the past, and you know, um, I sadly and unfortunately believe still happens today, is that they get shot. They get it shot at, and what happens is that the mother, or right, dies, And when the poach not the poachers, sorry, but the security or whoever it is go up to see the orangutan, they find that actually there's a baby orangutan still attached to the mother and still alive. So what happens to the baby orangutan is that it's either sold um, as food or sold at the black market as a pet. And it's usually in those ways that the Boss Foundation is alerted about an orphaned baby orangutan, brings it to the rehabilitation um, center. And re-educates it and rehabilitates it so that one day it can be released into the wild but that's heartbreaking you know to it see is, like it a is very like good. like very <laughs> speechless right <now. laughs> to see yeah it's it's to see like a you know an incapable and like vulnerable baby orangutan lose its mother and to such like grim and horrible circumstances
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's you know one of the most harrowing things that happens to them
0: Okay, yeah. Yeah. good break no? Okay. Um, yeah, I'm in very special I'm kind of, very sad to hear, the <laughs> yeah. no whole misperception and the whole um, issues that are going on around times. Um, so, it really requires the big steps to, like, actually create the whole community of Boss Nation itself, right? Um, I guess, how do you make them, how do you make the, let's start with the area itself. How do you make the people around Boss Nation to actually rally behind the cause and, like, help or alert the BOSS Foundation like you said?
1: Um, I think that's just something that the BOSS Foundation has um, worked very hard at establishing within the Indigenous communities Mm -hmm. over the last, like, nearly three decades because the BOSS Foundation was set up in
0: 1991.
1: Mm -hmm. So this is the 29th year. Um, And, you know, in the last several decades, they've worked very hard to educate Um, the local communities to not eat the orangutans because that did used to happen a lot and I probably think it still happens in some like very remote communities Um, and to leave them alone, you know, and if, you know, because having an orangutan so close to a human settlement may also be detrimental to humans, right? They could cause a lot of havoc because they're looking for food or whatever, or they're angry. So it's within the community's best interest as well to alert Boss Foundation Mm -hmm. that there's an orangutan around or that there's an orphan orangutan so that they can take care of them. But you know, I can't personally speak about those experiences because I've never been directly involved in those efforts. Mm -hmm. But I am aware of what Boss has done over the years, and I really commend them because it's, it's very difficult to change people's mindsets. You know, like when it comes to tradi- tradition and when it comes to food, yeah. I think we can see like it's even the hard. vegan movement trying to get people to like quit meat yes. and like chicken is really, really difficult. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're trying to break these like social cultural patterns, and it's not always easy, but they've, they've done a tremendous job since I started working with the Boss Foundation and I realized along the way, it took a few years to get there, but I realized that, okay, the main problem is that people don't know and getting people to know is going to be the biggest challenge. I just, you know, day to day through these kinds of interactions Mm -hmm. and through the use of my social media, I just, I guess my main goal is to just try to like spark that awareness, spark that awareness within Mm -hmm. people and spark that love within people to care for the environment. You know, we live such hectic, busy lives that, some days we only think about waking up, getting to work and getting back home and just like doing that day in and day out. Right. And so it can be like, our attention is already consumed by so many things. So I don't, I mean, climate, the climate emergency is uh, like, it's an issue for all of us. And it's at the moment, it's kind of like behemoth and like mammoth for us to tackle individually, which means that we need to work together. Mm -hmm. But You know we need to do things out of fear we need to start making big changes we need to start having like proper robust regulations and policies out of fear for Mm -hmm. our own well-being and safety but I think that beyond all that we need to have love for the environment and through my messaging um, through my you know, micro blog posts and everything. That's just what I try to do. I just try to, like, share that love with everyone because fear is a very good motivator, but I feel like love is more sustainable.
0: If you're... Uh, I just want to ask, though, if you're able to, like, get a bit of the essence of every experiences and stories that you have, um, are there any, like, takeaways that you wanted to share to the people that are listening today?
1: Um... First of all, hi. <laughs> <laughs> hi again. Um, yeah, I think that one thing that I've learned over the years, and I think this applies, what I, as in what I've learned can be applied to everyone here in Indonesia and also everyone in ASEAN, in mm-hmm. all these ASEAN countries, which is that an environmental problem is not our own. Like, our environmental problems in Indonesia will, come hell or high water, affect the people across the seas and across the oceans. Yeah. It will affect our neighbors in the ASEAN Association. It will affect, um, you know, our 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 siblings here. Yes. But so we need to kind of, you know, this is what I've learned is that we need to think about the boundaries that countries create for themselves. the end of the day they are only imaginary boundaries you know Mm -hmm. there's no actual wall that separates one country from the other um yeah yeah, but as a community we need to recognize that and we need to work in such a way which is beneficial for ourselves and also beneficial for those around us for example you know the immense forest fires last year and in 2015 they were absolutely out of control and the haze from those forest fires who did they affect they affected us Absolutely. But they affected Singapore, they affected Malaysia, they affected other countries within the ASEAN Association. And, you know, we are all part of the same community. And we can only do what is necessary if we work together. Um, And so yeah, what I've learned is that being an environmentalist, being a tree hugger, caring about um, nature, flora and fauna, it's it, it brings me so much joy, and so there is you know, there is gratification I receive mm-hmm. from that. But it's not for my personal gain. And it's not only for my personal gain.
0: I, I gain from it, but we all will if we work together. Um, but I guess before we go further into this, uh, to what extent are you familiar with it? I must have learned about ASEAN in school, <laughs> <laughs>
1: if I think back. Um, now... I understand the concept mm-hmm. of ASEAN, that it is an association of 10 countries yes. um, with the shared goal of cooperation in the spheres of, you know, economical, cultural and social. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, as an individual, it's hard for me to say how that concept translates
0: on the ground
1: day to, to the, day. Yeah. yeah.
0: How do you think ASEAN could better translate their message to the ground?
1: Um, I think that it's just about communicating it more, promoting it more, so that, you know, people here in Indonesia, for example, recognize Mm -hmm. that they are part of a larger community. And there's pride and a lot of, like, uh, benefits that come with that. Um, So I think, you know, creating that awareness, communicating more, what other programs are you know being developed
0: is is you know very very crucial what is your biggest hope for the asean citizen
1: you know if we realize we are part of a much larger community mm-hmm. and the borders between countries are actually invisible and transparent you know we can work better together as an entire community under asean to make sure that There are environmental policies or commitments um, that are put in place that benefits us all. Mm -hmm. And the great thing about an association like ASEAN is that if all the countries sign a commitment to have very robust um, environmental programs um, to reduce the climate emergency or to reduce carbon emissions, for example, or to completely... uh, Outlaw um, deforestation. Then, when each individual country's government changes, we are still we still have made that commitment in ASEAN as a whole. So, you know, this climate emergency isn't something that's going to go away in the blink of an eye, and it's something that is going to get worse. And we have seen the effects of that recently. There have been like crazy uh, floods in Indonesia, and there's so much more happening within the world and particularly within our region that requires our attention. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to have an association like ASEAN come together and say, we are committed to the environment. We are committed to tackling this climate emergency. There is no such thing as climate, uh, like denying the climate crisis. Mm -hmm. Then it gives us more confidence that something is actually going to happen. And, you know, hopefully that sort of uh, mindset trickles down to its citizens, where we all realize that, again, we are part of a larger community and we need to work together in order to solve a problem. And when we look at the world as a whole, if Indonesia is a country, Indonesia is part of ASEAN and ASEAN is part of the world, we can only just continue to benefit each other if we put progressive um, regulations and commitments in place.
0: ASEAN is actually intensifying efforts to put in place the culture of prevention to respond to any regional challenges, especially when spanning climate changes and environmental activism. As the saying goes, that prevention is better than cure. So in your opinion, how would you promote the idea of a preventive mindset in what you do in your work and life?
1: My concern is that I don't want us to look back in hindsight and say we should have done things differently. Yeah. I think there's a lot of information out there. There are experts out there that can guide the process as it's unfolding to mm-hmm. ensure that the best outcomes possible occur. You know, yeah. um, the best outcomes for orangutans and their their habitats mm-hmm. and the best outcomes for the country, which is having this new in capital. Way, yeah, in we're like creating a prevention. To, yes, to ourselves yes, because, you know. When it comes to biodiversity, when it comes to animal extinction, hindsight yeah. is too late. If you look back yes. and say, I wish we could have late, saved right? that animal, yeah. well, that's too little, too late, because they're gone. And, um, you know, our antennas are uh, endangered, and we need to be very, very aware of that and plan our next steps very carefully.
0: In that journey, uh, what roles do you think you can play as to make people to actually rally behind this?
1: I think going back to what I've already been doing, which is, you know, working to create public awareness, Mm -hmm. I feel like this is one way that me as a citizen of Indonesia, as a part of the ASEAN um, community, can help and can take on that role of communicating more what ASEAN's programs are, what they're developing, Mm -hmm. um, to make sure that that message
0: reaches more people. So... I guess, what is the message that you want to tell to your fellow Southeast Asians that are listening today?
1: First of all, thank you for listening
0: (laughs) to me go on
1: and on about the environment, and I hope that it's been um, like an enjoyable and productive uh, conversation between us, and that you've enjoyed it. Um, I would say that, you know, in terms of us as a community and the environment, we the days of us operating individually and fighting individually have to be over. We need to look at each other as neighbors, as siblings, and we need to work together because protecting the environment, conserving the environment, isn't just something that we're doing for ourselves. It's something that we're committing and, you know, we will be presenting to future generations. and. I definitely don't want to be one of those people where history might look back and say, what did that person do? Or did they do enough? I think that we should learn and learn to be on the right side of history now. And we can, you know, make leaps and bounds in progress with the environment and conservation if we do it together.
0: So thank you so much, Nadine, for spending your time with us today. Inspiring us to love our mother nature and to radiate such a good energy and love whenever and wherever we are, as a community and as an individual. So folks, thank you for listening and stay tuned for our next episode.